Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's How Do We Fix It with Richard and Jim. Why passion helps us live better lives with Mary Roach, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Finn Murphy... Emily Esfahani Smith and Rose Gowan. How do we fix it? How do we fix it? Jim, this show is inspired by many of our guests who come to our table for one really big reason. They're they're passionate about what they do. Right. In an age of so much complaint and division, we think we really don't do enough to celebrate the things that actually improve our lives. Yeah, passion is certainly one of them. So let's start with science journalist Mary Roach and parts of our chat with her that were not included in our recent Fix It Show episode earlier this month. Well, you know, as a longtime scientist, Magazine editor. It was such a thrill to listen to Mary and interview her. I've been a big fan for many, many years. Our hook was her most recent book, Grunt, which is about the science of keeping our military personnel alive, healthy, functioning when they're in combat. Yeah, she's fascinated by weird science and the human body in extreme situations. More than one person has said that I'm kind of a, a 12-year-old boy at heart. And I, I wouldn't deny that, but I do think that we all have that little 12-year-old boy or girl inside, and, and uh, there's no reason to be ashamed of, of that. So I, these are all things that I just find fascinating, and I have a sense that readers and, and just the population at large probably does have a fascination for it, too. They may just be less open about admitting that they find this stuff interesting. Now that's vintage Mary Roach. Absolutely. I love that her insatiable curiosity and sense of humor takes her to all these weird places that I guess most of us wouldn't even think to go. Yeah, and it makes life more interesting, which is, I guess, what a good storyteller does. Hear more of Mary Roach and all our other guests here by going to our website, howdowefixit.me. Yeah, you go to the podcast icon and look at the four pages. There are about 116 podcasts we've done so far. You can search for any name that you want. So let's say you know we've interviewed Neil deGrasse Tyson. You search for Neil deGrasse Tyson and bop, it comes right up. Also, of course, we're on iTunes and every place else podcasts are made available never hurts to rate us we love those five-star reviews but we also love your honest comments and your suggestions so keep them coming and we love that one word thing subscribe (laughs) (laughs) all right next up neil degrasse tyson another great science writer who i've known in my work and who we just so much fun talking to he's so passionate about communicating science publicizing for the cause of science we talked to him at the american museum of natural history where he's the director 
Neil spoke with us at the American Museum of Natural History, where he's the director of the world-famous Hayden Planetarium. He became fascinated with the universe and astrophysics at a very young age. When I was in high school, I actually saw Carl Sagan speak. It was a big thrill for me. Well, Neil did me one better. You also had an encounter with Carl Sagan. It went a little farther. When you were a senior in high school, you got on a bus and went to see him. Well, he invited me to come to campus. I had applied to Cornell and was accepted at Cornell. But unknown to me, the admissions office forwarded my application to him for his reaction and comment. And in response to that, he sent a personal invitation to me. He was very well known. I mean, he'd been on The Tonight Show multiple times. Itself a bit controversial. What is a scientist right. doing? He got on, backlash. He got some there was, there was some blowback. And in retrospect, how shallow that attitude is. To think that a scientist should not go to where people, um, to to what people tune into, and then share these discoveries, these great discoveries of modern science, especially knowing that it's NASA, and NASA is funded by a tax base that we all pay for. So um, he was just simply telling you what you paid for. <laughs> was, right. That's all he was doing, uh, and I took him up on that invitation. Uh, got on a bus from Port Authority of New York, went up to Ithaca, and uh, he met me outside the building. I went in, saw the lab, and we chatted. He, he sat behind his desk, and then he reached back and pulled out a book. Didn't even look, just pulled a book off a shelf. It was one of his books. I said, wow, that's the coolest thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't even have to look, and he his hand touches a book that he wrote. So he signed it to me. I still have this book. Which one is it? Uh, it was The Cosmic Connection. Mm -hmm. And we're done. He drives me back to the bus station. begins to snow. This is December in Ithaca. But then he worried. He said, you know, I don't know if the bus will come th can make it through the snow. If it doesn't, he wrote down his home phone number and said, call me. You can spend the night with my family. And, and, and you're tomorrow. a high school kid. Yeah, I'm high school. I'm a, I'm, I am nobody. I'm a 17-year-old nobody. And... This shaped my life in a fundamental way. I mean, I'd known I wanted to study the universe long before I even knew Carl Sagan existed. But to see someone that well-known give the kind of attention he did to me, a nobody, I thought was astonishing. And I said to myself, if I am ever as remotely... I remember thinking this in the moment. If I am ever as remotely as famous as Carl Sagan then I will treat students who are up and coming, who want to do what I have committed my life to, I will treat them the way he has treated me. So I'll joke about this, but it's, it's mostly true, right? If I have the president on the phone, okay, I say, I got to go. I'll call you back. There's a student at the door who has a question for me. Neil deGrasse Tyson, his latest book is Astrophysics for People in a Hurry. Now let's go from the outer reaches of the universe to Brownsville, Texas, a mostly Hispanic city right along the U.S.-Mexico border. Brownsville, El Paso, and many other communities in South Texas are facing a health emergency with very high rates of obesity and diabetes. Brownsville responded with a mix of public initiatives, including a new farmer's market, many miles of bike lanes, and a community-wide health challenge. One of the key people behind that is Rose Gallen, who is an obstetrician-gynecologist 
psychologist. She's also a city commissioner in Brownsville. Why is she passionate about solutions? Well, my father and his family were all from Brownsville, and I was born and raised here. And pretty much all of my father's side of the family has diabetes. And I began to be very concerned with respect to not just myself, but my children and what kind of legacy we were going to leave behind for the next generation. Our next guest, Karen Firestone, also has a personal reason for her passion, which is risk. She's the author of Even the Odds, Sensible Risk-Taking in Business, Investing, and Life. Obviously, listeners of this podcast know that risk, danger, and how we think about risk is a big fascination (laughs) for me. She also runs an asset management firm that she co-founded after 22 years working at Fidelity Investments. Now, all parents, and women especially, have to balance work and family, and this involves risk. The past few years, I've thought more and more about risk applied to other aspects of life beyond investing. I'm an investor by profession, but I think about risk-taking all the time. Now, you started your company. You left what sounds like a fantastic job, Mm -hmm. um, probably very lucrative, and then you went on on your own. You were in your late 40s, and you started your own company. Mm -hmm. So um, was that the right size risk? Was that the right time risk for you? And that's something that I thought about a lot. Uh, I had a partner, so one thing I did to mitigate that risk of being on my own was to have a partner who who had different skills and different contacts and potentially different clients. I saw in your book, you met Ann Landers on an airplane flight one time. I did. What was that like? I did. It was the best. Um, I had a set of twins. I found out when I was five and a half months pregnant that I was having another set of twins. I thought I was having one baby again. And I really freaked out. I thought my career is going to be over. What's the rest of my life look like? It's a disaster. I mean, I love kids. I do. But I just didn't think I could manage all of that. I got on a plane and a woman walked toward me. I recognized her, but I didn't remember who she was. She sat two seats from me. And then she pulled out a huge... A folder that was stuffed with envelopes, and then I realized it was Ann Landers. I asked her if she would talk to me, and she said, of course, dear. And what advice did she give you? Well, the advice was that there was a tremendous risk that I would be unhappy if I couldn't continue with my career, and if I was unhappy, then my family would be unhappy. So the risk was creating the right environment where we would all be comfortable. Me and my career, my husband and my children with the kind of environment that we created for them. Karen Firestone, whose passion is thinking about risk. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, ready? Yes. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. Hey, a quick shout out for a podcast we like. It's called Simplify, and it's about habits, happiness, and relationships. And it's got kind of a How Do We Fix It vibe. The latest six episodes feature six authors and six easy ways to change your life. Yeah, some really great guests, and one of them is Laura Vanderkam, who's been on our show. And Richard, we should both be listening because there's things we could both do to get a little better at life ourselves. You, my friend, are perfect. So check out Simplify at Blinkist.com. Long-haul trucker Finn Murphy has a passion for roads driving America's highways. Finn is the author of The Long Haul, A Trucker's Tales of Life on the Road, and it's an account of his years in the moving business. We talked to him about some of his favorite roads. A favorite stretch of highway you mentioned? Eastern Washington is great on Interstate 90. Um, Interstate 10 from El Paso across New Mexico and Arizona, mm-hmm. another, another wonderful one. Um, Alligator Alley in Florida, the bottom end of Interstate 75 goes right smack through the Everglades. That's a great one. Uh, Interstate 95 from Bangor, Maine, up to Caribou, Maine. That's another great one. And, and perhaps not good for truckers, but Highway 1 in California along the coast. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, just, that's just 101, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it was 101, and, 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 and one is right one. on the coast, yeah. which yeah. is probably not something you want to take a 70-foot uh, Yeah, so I don't, think I've been on, I don't think I've been on one. And then the last thing on the, on the great roads, though, uh, I love the New Jersey Turnpike. Yeah, wow. you write about the yeah. energy and excitement yeah. of driving yeah, well, up to the George Washington Bridge on yeah. the New Jersey Turnpike. Yeah, yeah, why, why, why that? It, did, it didn't, didn't ring for me. It didn't ring for oh, you. Oh, it did for me. <laughs> okay, all right. That's why you got two I, hosts. I grew up there. (laughs) But especially if you've just driven across the country and you're coming up on the George Washington Bridge late in the afternoon, it's really something. Yeah, 16 lanes. And then you've got the steel girders of Elizabeth, New Jersey on the right. As you're, so I'm heading north, right? So on the right, you've got Elizabeth, New Jersey. On the left, you've got Newark Airport. And then you've got the Outer Bridge Crossing Bridge and the Gothels Bridge. I mean, this is a, a massive human undertaking. It's like, yeah, yeah. That's, I, I, I found that part of the book to completely speak to me. The joys and poetry of the open road. Yet another reminder that following your passion is part of the solution, really, for living a better life. I relate to that. In fact, I'm about to hit the road for a cross-country road trip a little later uh, this month. Cool, cool. And where are you going? Driving to Boulder, Colorado. Nice. One of the wisest guests on How Do We Fix It is Emily Esfahani-Smith, who is the author of The Power of Meaning, Crafting a Life That Matters. 
you say that there's a difference between a happy life and a meaningful life. Tell us what you mean by that. A happy life is defined by things that make us feel good. So like sleeping in, eating sweets, um, going shopping, like how we feel moment to moment. Um, it's also been kind of provocatively associated with being a taker versus a giver to use the language of Adam Grant at the Wharton School. A meaningful life is different. The defining feature of a meaningful life is connecting and contributing to something that's bigger than you are. And when researchers look at what what makes people feel like their lives are meaningful, it's usually things that are effortful. They can even be hard in the moment, like practicing a musical instrument, studying, reflecting on your values, cheering, cheering up someone who's down. But that ultimately kind of bring you a deeper sense of satisfaction and peacefulness. So in your book, you write about four aspects or pillars to meaning. What are they? I really wanted to know how we can each go about leading meaningful lives. So I interviewed dozens of people all across the country. I turned to this new and growing body of research in psychology. And I also looked at what the great thinkers in philosophy and literature had to say. And these four themes came up again and again in the research on what makes life meaningful. And they are one, a sense of belonging. So being in relationships where you feel valued and you feel like you matter and where you in turn treat other people like they're valued and like they matter. The second pillar was purpose, having something worthwhile to do with your time. Purpose and meaning, we we tend to use those terms interchangeably, but purpose is actually, it's a far-reaching goal that we think is important and that usually involves making some kind of contribution to the world. Um, Storytelling is the third pillar of meaning, and this is taking your experiences and weaving them into a narrative that explains who you are and where you came from. The final pillar, transcendence, is about those experiences where you feel small and yet connected to something much bigger. So religion is kind of a classic place where people experience transcendence through rituals and prayer and meditation. But you can, of course, experience this in more secular contexts as well, such as being in nature or listening to music or viewing a beautiful work of art. Okay, Jim, a test. The, the four things she mentioned, what are they? <laughs> they, are, um, they are belonging, purpose, storytelling, and transcendence. Yes, and I grew up living in a Sufi meeting house in Montreal, which meant that twice a week, the Sufis would come over to our home and meditate for several hours. And Sufism is this kind of monastic, mystical tradition that's associated with Islam. And I know that it was an important source of meaning for my parents. And there really was this strong sense of love and service that I think amplified the sense of community. So there is something really powerful about the community that religion provides. The flip side of that, though, is that religion in our country and in the developed world is less important as a as a building block of meaning than it was in years past. Fewer people are going to church with a particular religion. So people have to find belonging and, and find those other pillars on their own. And I think that that's hard. It, it, it's a heavy burden to place on an individual's shoulders to, to go out and find meaning in the world. There are different examples that are non-religious. In your book, there's a fun example called the, the Society for Creative Anachronism in Cleveland. What is that? 
the members are united by this love of medieval history. So the members assume these medieval identities, like you know, king of such and such, or duchess or duke of such and such. So the kingdoms, you know, put on these events. The event that I happened to go to was a coronation, and the atmosphere when I was there was really like a family reunion. And I think a big part of why there's such a strong sense of belonging is because. The people who are drawn to this organization were not exactly the coolest kids in high school. They were a little bit nerdy, a little bit quirky, had these unusual interests, and they were always the weird one out. And um, just to be clear, they come from all walks of life, right? They, they, they're yeah. all kinds of different folks in normal life, and this is like a weekend pursuit. Exactly. So it's like it's like a hobby that they have on the side. Yeah, they, they're physicists and doctors and teachers, all, all kinds of people. And the people in the group really value them for the quirkiness that they have as part of their personality, a quirkiness that in the ordinary world makes people reject them or ostracize them is here kind of valued intrinsically. So it it builds this sense of belonging. So we were just talking about purpose. And there's an interesting example of zookeepers who have manual labor jobs. Perhaps they're low skilled in many cases, but, but they have a sense of purpose very often. Why? It's really interesting with zookeepers, even though they don't make a whole lot of money, their jobs are physically difficult. Many of them felt drawn from a young age to care for animals. I interviewed one woman named Ashley Richmond, who is a zookeeper at the Detroit Zoo. And she told me that even though I spend 80% of my time shoveling animal waste from one place to another to keep the yards clean. I don't think of my purpose as shoveling animal poop. I think of my purpose as doing everything in my power to care for the animals and to ensure that their lives are as rich and as stimulating as possible. There's a lovely example of the fourth building block, Transcendence, um, when you visit Texas. I believe that you're at uh... Marfa, Texas. It was Marfa, Texas? Yeah, with astronomers, right? Yeah, it's near Marfa. It's actually Fort Davis, Texas. Um, that's where the observatory is. It's out in West Texas in the Chihuahua Desert. And I went out there because this observatory is home to some of the darkest night skies in the United States, which means that it's a great place to do research on the stars, but it's also a great place to have a stargazing party, which is the observatory hosts these several times a week, I think. So I I went out there and I was there with, you know, maybe a couple hundred other people. We were sitting in this amphitheater as our guide pointed out all the different stars and the constellations to us. And I stayed the night and I woke up after the moon had set to go out and see the stars. And I had never seen shooting stars before, but that evening I saw one after another and the sky was just dotted with millions of stars. And it makes you think how small we are in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, and, it's, kind of, it's kind of counterintuitive that you, yeah. you feel small in the grand scheme of things. And yet somehow you're also awestruck. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, the word awe, the root of it kind of takes us to the word awesome, but also to the word awful, because there is this kind of ambiguity about the state. You do feel like overwhelmed by something beautiful, but it's also terrifying because you it makes you feel so small. And, and in terms of finding solutions to the lack of meaning, you said you had a couple of mm-hmm. examples of that. What's, what's your other one? It's recognizing that purpose 
isn't some grand thing. Like you're, you're, you don't, you don't have to work on a cure for cancer or write the great American novel to lead a purposeful life. Purpose is just really about doing something that makes a contribution to other people or to the world. So if you're, if you feel like your life doesn't have purpose right now, I think that one way to get more purpose is to ask yourself, you know, what's one thing that I can do today? What's one thing that I can do tomorrow to make someone's life a little bit better? It could be something as grand as curing cancer, or it could be something more local, like, you know, being a really good parent or a good neighbor or a good colleague at work. Emily Esfahani Smith, who has spent a lifetime thinking about the importance of meaning as opposed to what many of us think about the pursuit of happiness. This is something I think unites all of our guests. They're fired up about something. They found meaning in their lives through not just some kind of interest, but a real passion. Yeah, a a practice. Yeah. So everything from philosophy or thinking about risk to driving a truck up the New Jersey Turnpike. Yeah. Speaking for me, Jim, podcasting is my passion. I love doing this show. And I've been learning a ton from you and Miranda for the past couple of years. In fact, the idea for this episode comes from Miranda Schaefer, who's always a voice in our ear reminding us to ask that passion question to our guests. Why did you become interested in this subject? I think we've asked that of almost every person who's been on the show. So thanks for that, Miranda. And that's our show. If you like what you heard, as we said before, always helps to go to iTunes and get the comments and the subscribe button. Yeah, do it right now. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Jim Meggs. I'm Richard Davies. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. And our music is by Lou Stravinsky. This is a production of Davies Content. We make digital audio for companies and nonprofits. Check us out at DaviesContent.com. And thanks for listening. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.